that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to me in Christ Jesus. Say his kindness to me. Amen. Luke 9 verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. Let's do it this way. Hold up your right index finger. Power. Hold up your left index finger. Authority. Power and authority. Amen. To drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Ephesians 2 that we read a while ago literally is telling us that we in the kingdom experience elevation. That's God's plan. And I read about spiritual authority and the power, these two different components that we need. Because this is what it took to overcome demonic forces and spirits that were in opposition to what God's plan might be for the lives of the people then. It hasn't changed from then until now. You receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. But I'm now teaching on spiritual authority because, as I've pointed out, you will need to exercise spiritual authority over your own future because if you don't, there is an enemy seeking to circumvent God's plans to elevate your life. And so you cast the deciding vote in all of this. God says yes, the enemy says no, you get to say which is going to be the outcome. And so I've been talking about elevate your life. I want us to bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you for your word that is so incredibly powerful. I thank you because it contains revelation and principles of life that literally are the foundational principles that cause this world to stand. The scripture says you hold the world together by the word of your power. These principles are interwoven into every aspect of life, nature, and in the spirit dimension as well. And just like the spirit dimension, or just like the natural dimension, you cannot violate these principles. Lord, help us to understand the spiritual principles because the enemy can't violate those either. And if we learn them and apply them, there's nothing he can do to stop us from experiencing what you have for us in Jesus name and everybody said amen. amen elevate your life right now we're talking on the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority and a couple of weeks ago I gave you all 12 of them real quick in one service and then said I'm going to come back and I'm going to flesh these out I intended to do like three or four or five a service boy that isn't working out real well <laughs> amen I mean I get stuck on one of these here and this one today I'm going to have to deal with for two services and two Sundays. I'll get back to it next week. I want to talk today on authority in the home, Spirit, exercising spiritual authority in your home. The first level, as you remember last week, was the first level of spiritual authority is authority over your own life and that you need to exercise authority in your emotions, your thoughts, in your life for you to be able to experience what God has for you. You can't just allow anything and everything to come. Let your emotions rule you, your thoughts rule you, negativity rule you, circumstances rule you, temptation rule you. We talked about that. The thing that I needed to point out again is that level doesn't have any breakthrough connected to it. That prepares you for the next levels where breakthroughs come. Amen. And this is really, really significant, and we need to understand this. Now, when I speak about 
authority in the home, right away women come positioned believing one thing and men come in expecting something else. Men are saying, hurry up and get dressed. We can't be late. Pastor's preaching on authority in the home. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know. And the women are saying, oh, Lord, here we go again, you know. And, um, you know, it's just that's the way it is. Husbands expect me to tell the wife that the husband is the head of the home. They're expecting that. You guys are. Just uh, You may not have articulated that. But uh, whatever else was going on, rain, sunshine, it didn't matter how hard it's raining, you still got her out here today. Something about it, amen. You might melt any other Sunday, but today, oh no, we're going to church, we're going to church, hallelujah. I just feel like we need to be in church. Mm, God's got something for us today. <laughs> and the wife is saying, oh boy. I'm going to get beat up here today. Truth of the matter is, there are more dimensions of spiritual authority than just that of the husband or the wife and their relationship in the home. I'm going to say something, and I want you to hear me. While I do believe that the husband is designated by God to be the head of the house, he can only fulfill that if he serves in a Christ-like manner. Amen. And that means to love your family more than you love yourself. And having said that, I also need to say one other thing. Women, contrary to what many people believe and have been taught, also do have a priestly function in the home. I need to hear a loud amen from women. Paul said in Galatians that there's no such thing in the kingdom as male or female. Whoa, there's no gender. Hear me. He said it. Neither Jew nor Greek. That's your book. That's your Bible. That's God's word. Amen. Existed in the Old Testament. But not in the New Testament. Now, does that mean the man is not the head or the priest of the family? Yes, he is. He still is. But the woman also has a priestly function that should not be denied her. Should not be denied her. God knows if it wasn't for women, sometimes we men have gotten so wrapped up in careers and our hobbies that we've not necessarily fulfilled our priestly function. Thank God for women that kept the home fires burning. Amen. And that's not an indictment. That's just the way it is. So I've got a better solution than that. Why don't we both fulfill our priestly function? Amen. Why don't we both? And so today, rather than talk about the authority that both husbands and wives have, uh, you know, regard each other, I want to talk about the authority they both have over their household. Amen. And the fact that they can stand there with their arms folded and tell the devil, we're the ones with the authority here. You can't come in here. You don't get to come in and wreck God's plan for my family. You have authority in your home. I want to utilize it that way, and I'm going to show you some things in a minute. But speaking of authority that men have, did you hear about all that God decided to check men out? So he called all the men and women together, and he said, women, you go over there, and you uh, visit with St. Peter a little while, and I want all of the men to form two lines. I want all of the men that are heads of their home to stand in one line, and I want all of the men whose wives dominate their home to stand in the other line. And there was this huge line that stretched for hundreds of miles. And it was the men whose wives dominated the home. And in the line where men were the head of the house, there was one scrawny guy. And God said, I am so embarrassed and ashamed of you guys. Come on, men. What's the deal? All of you let your wives dominate your house. He said, come on, come with me. I want to teach you something. 
they all gathered around the one guy and he said, I'm so proud of you. I want you to tell these men how you came to stand in this line where you are the head of the house. The guy dropped his head and said, my wife told me to come stand over here. <laughs> So with the permission of all of the wives, I'll proceed today. Is that okay? <laughs> Nehemiah 4, verses 13 through 18. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Okay, that is the people who had gathered around, Sanballat, Tobiah, all of these people that were trying to destroy the wall that Nehemiah had been commissioned by God to build around Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a type of the church. And the wall was made up being made by men who with their individual families were building their portion of the wall. And, he was, and Nehemiah said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. He had their wives and children standing behind them. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Once the enemy found out, they exercised authority. The enemy left. Isn't it always that way? He's the big bad wolf till you stand up and look him in the eye and say, uh-uh, don't work that way here. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Literally, picture this. They're building a wall. And they're holding a sword in one hand, and they're holding a trowel in the other. And right behind them are their families. And the wall of Jerusalem, the church, is being built by individual families that are building their portion of the wall. If this man didn't build his wall, his portion, it was a breach in the wall that not only allowed the enemy access to his family, but to the other families on the inside. I want to talk to you about the significance of that we have as men and women of God in building the wall and demonstrating authority within the family structure. Genesis 18, 19, God said to Abraham, for I know him, or said of Abraham, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, God is saying of Abraham that the reason that he's going to have a breakthrough is not because he's exercised spiritual authority in his personal life. That's level number one. But the reason is, is because he's exercising authority in his home, spiritual authority in his home. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. What God had spoken over Abraham is now going to come to pass God says, because Abraham has moved beyond level number one, which is authority over self to authority over his house. Now, you need to know this, 
that this is the level where breakthroughs begin to occur. Not all of them will occur here. Other breakthroughs will occur at the levels I will talk about following this particular part of the message when I move on to other things. But God has always intended, and you, you must come to see this about God, God looks at this world through multi-generational perspectives with a view in mind to not bless one person but to bless generations at once. He calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We, we, I've taught some on this before. When he speaks a word, he doesn't even address the word, though he addresses it to you. It's not just to you. It is also to your descendants. You need to understand this. They enter into whatever promise God has made to you becomes a promise to them as well. Jeremiah 2 and 5. When God makes a promise, he addresses the house, not just the individual. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Not only does God speak a word, not to an individual, but to that man and his whole family. When God saves someone, he doesn't just try to save one person. His intention is to save that man and his family. Noah was saved with his family. Lot was saved. Come on, help me out here now. Amen. Whenever Moses went down to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought families. And you need to know that this is the way it works. When a revival breaks out and someone gets saved in a family, very seldom will one person come to God by themselves. Usually ignites a chain reaction and there will be a number of people within that family that will get saved. When God saved Rahab, he said, not only do you come in the house, Rahab, but bring your family. Amen. Always God's plan. He doesn't just want to bless one person. He wants to bless the family. He doesn't want to just save one person. He wants to save the family. Acts 2.39, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's what Peter said on the day of, of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God's not just saving you, but this is also designed to impact your family. So, Again, you not only get a word from God for you, but that word, even though it's spoken to you with your name on it, is for your family. When he saves you, it's not only you God's looking at, it's your family. I've got another word for you, another insight for you. When he blesses you, it's not just to bless you. That blessing is meant to bless your family. Oh, come on, help me out. 2 Samuel 6 and 12, now King David was told, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Amen. Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. David, if you recall, was going to get the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. Why? Because he found out when the ark got in Obed-Edom's house, not only did Obed-Edom get blessed, everything in his house got blessed. And whenever you have a blessing of God that comes upon your life, it's meant to touch everything that lives in your house and your children and your grandchildren. Now, this is, this is awesome. Joshua understood his rank in the home in terms of spiritual authority and said in Joshua 24 and 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
Now, you've got to remember that when Joshua said this, he was 80-plus years old. 80-plus years old. His children were probably above 40. We have this idea that whenever Abraham offered Isaac, he's offering this little boy. He wasn't. Isaac, according to Jewish scholars, was 33 years old when his daddy put him on that altar. It blows my mind that they had such authority in their home that even though their sons are grown and may have their own children, daddy's still speaking for them on their behalf when it comes to spiritual matters. One of the most important things in life that you can learn is to develop a culture of honor. Every promotion you receive in life will be the direct result of you being able to give or to receive honor. You hear what I'm saying? Kingdom of darkness is always about robbing people of honor. Amen. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy and because the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He wants to take someone's honor away. Most of us have not learned the value of honor because we were raised in circumstances where maybe people use positions incorrectly. Never seen that happen, have you? Somebody didn't honor the position, but they had the power, and they said, you're going to honor this me anyway? No, no, no. Here's what you do. You honor the office, but you don't have to honor the wrongs the person did that held the office. I need somebody to help me out because I am going somewhere with this. Amen. And when I talk about authority in the home, some people are afraid because they say, how can I show honor knowing what I went through and knowing what that man or that woman did to me when I was a child? Mm. I've been through stuff you don't know about, they say. Well, there's another verse to that song too. I can sing. I've been about stuff, through stuff you don't know about. Well, come on, help me now. All of us have some stories to tell. But that does not give us the right to dishonor the office or the position. You don't appreciate what the individual did who was in the position. But that doesn't give you the right to then throw the position. In my lifetime, we have had members of Congress impeached, including our president. Mm -hmm. And you have to be very careful. Their wrongdoing was so egregious that it had to be called into account. But that doesn't mean you get to impugn the office of the president. The individual filling the office may not be worthy. And I see people that lose their regard and their way through life because somewhere in all of this, they forget that imperfect people can hold high positions. Mm. Doesn't mean you condone their wrong. Doesn't mean you turn a blind eye to it. But the position is ordained of God. Oh, yeah. Hear what I'm talking about. Amen. Somebody taught me years ago, don't trust anybody that says anything bad about their mama. Don't care what you've been through. You don't talk bad about your mama. Never will forget a job I was on one time, and there was a young welder on that job. Somebody started cracking jokes about his mama. He threw that welding rod down, whipped that welding hood off. He's ready to fight. Right? You don't talk about my mama. You hear what I'm saying? And my daddy, go ahead. I'll just keep right on. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> no. I know. 
but you, you can't talk bad. Now, I've been through some stuff. Most of you know a little bit about my story. My mama put me out when I was four, took my clothes off, left me in a bus station holding the hand of a two-and-a-half-year-old brother and a nine-month-old brother, even took my shoes and socks off and said, I'm going to give them to the little boy Howard that lives down the street. That's all I've ever told you of that story, okay? I stood there crying. I was so embarrassed because people were walking by. Now I'm a grandparent. And I'm old enough now that I know what they were doing. They were laughing and smiling when they walked by. And they were laughing because it's cute to see three little boys holding hands. You know, I thought they were laughing at me because my mama was giving me up and said she wasn't going to be my mama anymore. Through a four-year-old's mind, that's what I was perceiving. But though I went through that, you will never hear me say one bad word about my mama. I'll tell you the story, but that's as far as it's going to go. You know why? Because honor your father and your mother that you're, you, that it may go well with you. That's what the word said. Honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life on this earth. Some folk, the reason things are not going well is you haven't learned honor yet. I see it in churches. Spiritual leaders are prone to make mistakes. I've known pastors make mistakes. But look, don't throw everything away. Honor the office even if the person has made mistakes that hold the office, whatever that may be, Sunday school teacher, whatever. You know, we're, 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 we're imperfect people. Now, why is this important? Because I'm looking at a man, Abraham, who's telling a 33-year-old boy, come here and climb up on this pile of wood. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of your kids would do that. Mine may tell me, you want to get on that wood, you go ahead and get on it. I mean, offer, you want to offer a sacrifice, you go ahead and offer yourself, but me, moi. You hear what I'm saying? That's the, that's the, uh, the, the culture we're raised in right now. Really, my children... I don't know what they would do. They, they have a lot of respect for me, but that's pushing the envelope. You've got to admit it. I'm going to kill you and offer you as a sacrifice. God told me to. Dad, are you taking your meds? You know what I mean? <laughs> Amen. It's time to go get a blood check here and find out. Something's out of balance, you know. <laughs> Amen. Did that voice come out of that receptacle over there on the wall? Is that where you heard that? You know, that, that, that's the response most of us would have today. It blows my mind because Joshua and Abraham both were speaking for grown children when they said that they would honor God. God said concerning Abraham, I know he will lead his household, grown children, in the ways of God. And Joshua said, my 40-year-old plus kids are going to be serving God. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They brought upon themselves an incredible blessing of God not through coercive authority, but because of the position of honor. I took some time to teach you coercive authority is not where it's at. you got to say, bless God, I'm the boss. You're not. Amen. And neither does it fit for you to say, don't do what I do. Do what I say do. That doesn't work real well either. Amen. You hear what I'm talking about? One reason that people have trouble is because they forget the distinction between office and the person in the office. And I believe in trying to honor the law. I really do. 
I think God is a God of government. And by law, I don't mean not just talking about law of Moses. I think the world without government is a terrible place to be. It's dangerous. You don't believe that? Would you want to live in a city where there was no penalty against murder? Robbery? Would you want to drive on a highway where there was no speed limit and they could drive as fast as, uh-uh, not me, I'll stay home with my shotgun <laughs> if there's no penalty for murder. You know what I'm talking about? There are laws that are there because God is a God of government and a God of order. So as much as possible, I'll try to comply. Every once in a while, and I say this in case we have any law enforcement officers here, and we have a many in our church, you get behind me, my speedometer creeps up above. Don't pull me over. Just watch me for a little while. It'll get back down. When I notice it, you'll see my brake light come on. Because <laughs> I try to comply. Amen. Much as possible. Amen. And if I'm on a long stretch, I'll even use my, my cruise control because I want to try to comply. The reason for that is the powers that be are ordained of God. And you can't exercise authority when you are not under any yourself. I need to preach here today. Amen. It's the foundation of all government. Honor is. Amen. And without honor, that's the, the, our nation would unravel the world would government would unravel anarchy would ensue real authority is about being under authority and just on this subject of wives and husbands you know submit to me I'm the husband let me tell you what the foundation really is Ephesians 5 20 through 23 submit to one another out of reverence for Christ read those other verses so that submit to one another that's what the book really says Amen. Before you have a right to demand somebody submit to you, you need to be submitted also. Why do you do it? Out of reverence for Christ. That's a revelation. The person may not necessarily deserve it, but God does. I, I, I needed a better understanding right there. Better response to let me know you got it. The person may not deserve it, but you're not doing it out of reverence for them you're doing it out of reverence for God. You get the point here. And if you can do that, then you can have authority in your life. And now, next week, you will not want to miss because I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm really going to rip and tear. I got some stuff to show you next week. But I got 10 things I need to show you why the family is important to God. Amen. I need you to understand the family is incredibly important. And the family is where a child's understanding of God and his nature are developed. So much of what we will come to believe about God is not determined in church. It's determined in the home. Amen. And not by what you teach, but by what is caught rather than taught. You hear what I'm saying? Attitudes and concepts of who God is, insights into the nature of God, they're not formed in church, they're formed in the home through the interaction of a child with his mother and his father. That's right. Amen. For example, what you know about God is determined in the home in the sense of God's commitment. You don't learn that God's committed to you in church. 
You learn that God's committed to you by the way your mom and daddy stand by you no matter what happens. Help me out now. Amen. Which is why you need to understand why I teach our men, if you've created something that's walking around on two legs somewhere, you're responsible for that creation and you don't ever need to abandon it. Hello? Amen. You don't be like that basketball player, whoever it was, that sired 67 kids around the United States somewhere taking care of none of them. You hear what I'm saying? That's just not wrong. That's dead wrong. Because you know what those kids are going to grow up feeling? They're going to grow up feeling he made me, but he doesn't stand by me. And you know what that's going to make them think? God made me, but he don't stand by me either. Amen. You know where you learn that God stands by you? It's when daddy comes home every night and mama comes home every night. And regardless of what you're going through, they got your back. Come on, somebody help me out right now. Amen. A family provides correction and discipline too. And this teaches a child something about God. I'm working on the point that the, in the family is where a child's understanding of God and his nature are first developed. Amen. There in the, in the home is where the child learns. Before he ever hears about David and Goliath. Before he ever learns about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. He's going to learn that the, I've got people I can depend on. That are always there for me. It's not all he learns. He learns in the family that God is a God of discipline and correction. Because you are supposed to teach your child to make wise choices. And in the home, what you do is you teach your child wise choices produce happiness. Poor choices bring pain. You can't shelter your child from every decision they make. Nor should you shelter your child from every decision they make. They need to know that success in life is determined by thinking something through rather than just acting upon the latest impulse that comes. Amen. Nor do you let other people talk you into doing stuff you wish later you hadn't done because it's going to hurt you down the road. Amen. Sometimes we parents love our kids so much we don't want them to experience any negative consequences associated with poor choices, but we do our children a disservice when we do that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. You may think you're loving your child more than anybody else, but wait 20 years and then come tell me if you did or not. Amen. Yeah, well, let's wait and see. And the family is where they learn that God is a God that forgives too. No child is going to make it through life without making some mistakes and doing some wrong. And sin, I was born, born in sin and shaping in iniquity. You ever notice you don't have to teach a child a lie? They just got that one already. Oh, they just show up. They got that one pretty good. Amen. You know why? We have a fallen nature. And it's in the home that they learn forgiveness. Amen. It's where you learn that you love. That's where a child learns that just like mom and daddy love me unconditionally, so does God. And the home is where they learn that not only is, is God's nature one of commitment and one where God disciplines us when we do wrong because he loves us and wants us to make wise choices, not only is God's nature to forgive, but they also learn that God helps me. And because in the home, they see that model that families help one another. 
Amen. Okay, that's the first reason the family is important. Because in the family is where a child's earliest understanding of God is first formed. That's right. Right there in the home, separate and apart from theology, Bible, no Sunday school, it's in the home. Amen. And you need to know this, that God made the home before he made the church. Yes, he did. He made Adam and Eve before there was ever a church building. Uh, whenever Abraham was walking around, there still wasn't a church building. Hello, somebody. And so the second reason that, that families are important is to God, because within the family is where the word of God is to first be taught. Oh, I wish I could help us understand that. Amen, amen, because we want to send our kids to church and let the Sunday school class take over that responsibility. Oh, it's got to be taught in the home, from the rising of the sun into the going down of the same. You need to have a Bible out there and not just collecting dust, and it ought to do more than just record who died and who was born and who got married and when. You need to have a Bible and sit your kids down and don't teach them that God's going to get you if you don't obey this. This is what you do. You teach your kids. This is a book of life. You follow its principles. You will excel. God's going to elevate you. This book is meant to make you succeed. That's what you teach your children. Amen. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. And then the wise man proceeds to give his son insight that are a part of our holy canon, the word of God, the scripture, father and mother teaching their children the value of God's word. Why? Because your values are not formed in church, they're formed in the home. Now here's what happens. You have three places where values are formed primarily. First, the home, second, school, and lastly, the church. Most people expect the church to do it. And by abrogating the first, which is the home, guess where the values actually are formed? School. Yes. I'm talking to you right now. We lost a precious school teacher a week ago. 30-year-old young man. We're going to pray for his family at the end of this service. Shot and killed last weekend. They had his funeral. That just breaks my heart. School teacher. We need godly school teachers. Amen. Because God knows the schools are not teaching the things that are necessary to be taught. And how many kids don't come from saved homes? How many kids the Bible is never open? Don't let your, your, your neighborhood influence what you teach you or your children about God. Well, nobody else has... Reads the Bible before their kids go to school. Uh, you don't want your kids to turn out like everybody else's kids. In the home is where you teach your children. You study the book in the morning and you study it when you go to bed at night and you make it applicable to them. Come on, help me out here. Or I say it another way. The one hour, one and a half hours that they come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday school, don't expect the church to undo what 166 and a half hours did to them during the course of that week. We're not going to do it. We can't. It's impossible. We need to understand the first place for spiritual education is within the home. Amen. 
Number three, the reason the family is so important to God, it is also where the word is to be modeled, not just taught, but modeled by living it every day in the home before our children. That's why it's not appropriate for you to be all happy in church on Sunday morning, shouting hallelujah and amen and thank you Jesus and all of that and cussing Monday through Saturday. I didn't say, I told you I was going to rip, amen. Amen, you watch folk, they come to church. And you know, got all of that going on in the car, in the parking They get out and... <clears throat> Praise God, how are y'all today? Good to be in the house of God, isn't it? Oh, your kids see what goes on. Uh-uh. Now listen to me. You need to model the word of God before them every single day. Number four, another reason that the family is so important to God, it's in the family where a child is supposed to discover they have value and that they matter to others. They learn that to the other members of the family, they're special. And you know what this helps them understand? It helps them understand that to God, they are special. You need to teach your child just like there's no two snowflakes that are alike. There are no two children that are just alike. No two fingerprints that are just alike. You're created unique and special in the eyes of God. Yes, you are. They learn that in the home. The home. They don't learn that at church. We can't teach them that in just a, a matter of a few minutes and expect them, that to, to undo the negativity of everything that's happened. I'm not even going to ask you how many of you were raised being called names like dumb and stupid and things said like you'll never amount to anything, but God, did that happen? And that's on the better end of the spectrum of what was said. Some of you don't even want to use the words you were called whenever you were growing up. Come on, help me out. Am I, am I real here or not? Amen. And then they come to church and we try to teach them they have value and they spend the rest of their adult life struggling to believe that God loves them. They need to learn that in the home. Number five, the reason the family is so vital, it is where we are supposed to be taught how to make our lives count to become something worthwhile and to not waste our lives in the home. You don't learn that in church. You know where you're supposed to learn you have a destiny? Not in church. You're supposed to learn that in the house you're raised in. I love the way Jewish people raise their children. A little six-year-old boy running around. The mother says proudly, this is my son, the rocket scientist. This is my son, the international banker, multimillionaire. This is my daughter, the heart surgeon, the nuclear physicist. You teach your child they have a destiny. They're made by God. Not only are they special, but they're made by God to fulfill a purpose in this life. You let that child grow up, not teaching him, don't you mess with those kids, they're no good. No, no you say, look child, you don't want to get involved in anything that's going to keep you from peeking out and fulfilling your potential. And you mess with the wrong folk, they will not allow you to be everything God made you to be. And God made you to be strong and God made you to be powerful. You don't let anybody steal that from you. Amen. It's also in the family, number six where children learn to connect and belong. This prepares them to become a part of the world and also in the church. They connect. Now, I'm going to say this. 
and I'm going to just get real with you. How many of y'all have somebody, don't raise your hand. How many of y'all have somebody in, in your family, not, not necessarily living in your house, but a family member, y'all don't necessarily want your kids hanging around? Family reunion time, they stay over on that side and y'all stay over on this one. Oh, come on, help me. I'm a whole lot more real than honest than most folk in this building are being right now. I'm not saying they did something stupid or wrong, but they may have. But you just don't recognize what you want and the values that you see exhibited in their life. You don't want your kids hanging around that. And the home is where children are taught to be discriminating in relationships because the child just loves everybody and you got to teach him baby don't you let everybody take your hand and carry you off when we're in the grocery store hello you got to teach your children things like that even if it's sometimes your own family what I'm saying is you as a parent are responsible for who your child connects to in life now, later on, they may make some choices and decisions that, that you won't be happy with, and you're going to have to accept it, but you do the best you can right now. You hear what I'm saying? Yes, you do. You, you do the best you can. Why? Because if you teach them to be discriminating, here's what happens. You teach them to make good connections. When they get out in the world, they won't be hooking up with any Tom, Dick, or Harry. You hear what I'm saying? Need to be discriminating. Not only that, it will teach them to be discriminating in terms of their connections at church. In the home is where they learn the value of having supporting members around them. People who love them. They learn the value of, of the church in the home. Number seven, God honors the family and and this is one of the most important reasons why worship and prayer are also taught by example in the family, not in church. Worship and prayer should be taught in the home. Yes, they should. And model. Now, I can tell you, and I've told you before, I was raised by a praying grandmother. She didn't pray. She prayed. She was an intercessor. She would pray three hours at a time. And we had an old squeaky door on the back, um, the, a screen door on the back of the porch. And I'd get thirsty playing as a child. And I, we learned. You could hear grandma praying on the other side of the house. In fact, my grandma was kind of like Acts 16 where at midnight, Paul and Silas sang and praises to God and the prisoners heard them. You could hear, you didn't, you could, you're a prisoner in county jail. You could hear my grandmama praying. And heard her all over the neighborhood. She prayed, I'm telling you. And we could hear her and we'd get thirsty and there would be this debate. Should I go get water or not? Because she had unbelievable hearing and she would hear that screechy, that, that, that sque screech of that screen on the back porch. And we tried to open it real slow. And it would still announce that we were there. And with her incredible sense of hearing, she would stop praying and say, Kids, is that y'all coming in? Richard, is that you? I hear you going back out that door. You better come in here and pray. 
Why didn't I just go ahead and stay thirsty? Y'all get in there and pray with me. Lord have mercy. Five minutes to a six-year-old is like the seven years of the tribulation. The thousand-year millennial reign. The great white throne of judgment. And ages to come all rolled into one. That's misery. Amen. I hated it. I didn't say they're going to like it. They're not going to like anything sometimes that you do that's necessary. Amen. No. What happens in the course of your life, though, is that you don't value. Context is everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about context. Would you do that? What do they teach you in school? Teachers, help me out here. You understand the meaning of a word, what? By its context. Look at what it says in the sentence. You understand the sentence by its placement in the context of the paragraph. You understand the paragraph because of its context within the chapter. You understand the chapter because of its context within the book. You can't look at something in isolation and know what it means. You can't. You have to look at it. For example, if somebody breaks into your house at 3.30 in the morning and drags you out in your nightclothes and pulls you outside, lays you on the ground and starts hauling your stuff out of your house, you know, that's, that's bad. But it isn't if you look up and see the house is burning. Now you're wanting, shaking, you're wanting to shake their hand and say, thank you. Uh-huh. And if I get a knife and start cutting on you, that's bad. But if it's a doctor removing a cancer, context says that's good. You hear what I'm saying? And I want to tell you, sometimes children haven't lived long enough to develop context yet. Because when you live a little while, I hated that all those prayer meetings. I have restless leg syndrome. I'm not making that up. I do. It's a form of neuropathy. And if I sit still for very long, my legs just... I had an uncle that had it so bad, he would wear holes in the sheet where his toes rubbed against the sheet. His legs doing this the whole night long. Amen. You think that's made up? That's not. There really is such a thing as restless leg syndrome. You ever had it? They wanted to do a study on the entire herd family. Amen. Because there's such a, a predominance of that. God's helped me in the last number of years. Thank God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But to a six-year-old with restless leg syndrome who has no idea what restless leg syndrome is. My grandmother's sitting there, oh, Jesus. And I'm saying, can I please go? And that's when she'd pull the Bible out and read about, in Revelation, the beast coming up out of the pit.
Y'all never had experiences like that? I didn't value that as a child because I didn't have context. But let me tell you, I grew up one day. And I lived through some stuff that I didn't know how I was going to get out of. I found myself in circumstances where I didn't know which way to turn. I wasn't supposed to make it. But I'm still here because grandma taught me how to touch almighty God. I learned how to pray. Amen. I learned how to touch heaven and it made a difference in my life. The eighth reason that families are so vital is that serving is first modeled in the home. Amen. And that becomes the foundation of our understanding of what servanthood means by what we do in the home. You don't wait on your children hand and foot for everything. You shouldn't. If you do that, you may think you're being kind. But the day will come when they're going to be insisting everybody serve them. And come here. Come, in, come close. I've got to tell you something here. Okay. God help you out. I'm, I'm going to tell you a little secret. If they're expecting everybody in the world to serve them when they get grown, come close. It's not going to happen. And they're going to be disappointed. You hear what I'm saying? You learn to serve in the home. You learn to help others. That's, where does it start? You say, oh, I learned to do that in church. No, you didn't. If it, didn't. if it wasn't started, you'll never learn it in church. You'll be content to just come and leave. All right? Number nine, why is the family important? Giving is modeled in the home. Speaking of giving, we've upgraded our electronic giving. Next week, I'll, I'm going to do that next week. I'm going to take the time to show you the online giving. Got a new kiosk out there and so forth, and, and we'll, we'll help you do it. One reason that I, I, I'm doing this taking the time to show you so you can sit your kids down with you. Because often in Sunday school, you, you see the children in one part of the building and the family is in another. Never give an offering without letting your child know that you did so. Always let your child know. And don't say, I gave. Say, we gave as a family. Hello, somebody. When you give, if it's online, sit your children down with you. Show them what you're doing. And say, daddy's... And mommy are giving our tithing for the church this week. A missions offering. Why? Giving is modeled in the church. And it is here in the home, not in the church. And if you wait until they come to church, it's too late. They're going to be sitting out there with their arms folded, all cold and cynical, saying all that church wants is my money. And they'll miss out on the fact that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And finally, another reason that families are important to God, more important than anything else, is because forgiveness is taught in the home. And this teaches us both how to experience forgiveness and how to give it to others as well. That's right. Where is it taught? In the home. I told you a while ago, you don't have to teach a child how to tell a lie. They come here already having a Ph.D. in that. Uh-huh. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the scripture said in one place. What does that mean? It means that, that children come into this fallen, wicked world of ours that's ruled by a fallen Lord. And Adam, their fallen ancestor, has passed on to them the genetic, the, the, the genetic mutations called sin. And in the kingdom of God, this where our spirit is born again, we're saved. 
But how do we know the past is gotten rid of? In the home, when somebody does something wrong, you don't not talk to them for the rest of their life. Uh-uh, you show them, yes, there's forgiveness. We taught in our family, I don't know what you teach in yours, but we taught in our family to never let the sun go down on your wrath. No matter how bad it got. And if um, Jerry and I will have been married 46 years this coming June. Can you believe it? Amen. Amen. I hear some crazy weird stuff. I heard, I heard the other day somebody talking about supposed to be a prophet. Not a member of this church. Discern Jerry and I were legally separated. There is no legal separation in Texas. Did you know that? There isn't. Not only that, we're better friends now than we ever have been. I don't mind telling you early in our marriage. There were some rough moments. But not once have we ever separated in 46 years. Not once. Now, there's times I felt like Googling for Holy Spirit field hitman to see if I could find one on the internet. Like I've told you, and I'm sure she did too. But we're actually friends now. <laughs> Come on, husband and wife, because you know what I'm talking about. There are five stages in marriage. The last one is the one where it's fun. Jerry and I are in that one right now. We're friends. We're friends. We're having fun now. Amen. Having a good time with life. Laughing at our children because of their kids. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> you know, revenge is so sweet, isn't it? <laughs> and, oh, we're just having a wonderful time. But we've had to learn forgiveness through the years. And the family is where you learn it. And I taught, there were times we did not want to. Time to go to bed. We. We believed in what Paul said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And I'd wait until, see if she's going to say it first. <laughs> and she wouldn't, so. So we finally worked out a plan. You think I'm joking, I'm not. I'll say sorry first this time, next time it's your turn. <laughs> I'm not making that up. We really did. Amen. <laughs> and we survived. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Forgive each other. You hear what I'm saying? Why is that important in the home? Because someday you're going to do something wrong and you need to know your heavenly father forgives you. Stand with me across the building, would you? Amen. We learn to shout and have fights in whispers. We were traveling as evangelists, and we had to, you know, we're spiritual. We're going to come in and be men and women of the man and woman of God, you know, men and women of God. Yet we, just like anybody else, we'd have fusses. And oftentimes we would stay in, with pastors in their homes. 
How can you have a good fight staying in somebody's home? Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? So we learned to fight in whispers. And she had, no. But at the end of every day, we didn't let the sun go down on our wrath. Come join me. I want to pray for you. I want God to bless our families. And you 